And that was so encouraging, wasn't it? I have, can I just echo that? I so appreciate, so appreciate, um, I so appreciate the leadership of this church. This has been quite a year. None of us saw it coming. And I just, I, I feel that our leadership, by the grace of God, rose to the occasion. For such a time as this. Guys, we've prayed a lot already this morning. Let's pray again. Let's pray again. We're about to dive into the word together. So let's, let's ready our hearts to hear from God this morning. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we can come before you. Thank you that you've provided a way, the way, for us to connect with you, to commune with you, because Jesus died to remove everything that stood in the way between us and you, that by faith it's all been cleared. So this morning, we can connect. What a joy, God. What a joy. We pray to hear from you this morning. We're hungry, God. Would you speak to us in this place? God, I pray for your guidance. I pray for your empowerment. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, in case we haven't met, just to introduce myself, my name is Carrie. I am a pastoral resident here. I'm married to Lisa, my wife, and we have three kids. We live in Humboldt Park. We love Humboldt Park. And one thing about us as a family is we're a fairly musical family. We like to jam. uh, We like to dance. We like to sing. And one thing that is so amazing to me is is hearing my two girls sing. I love hearing my, my two girls sing. And it reminds me of a time about two years ago when my oldest was three years old. And she was walking through the house, she was singing worship songs, and I was just loving it. And, and back at that time, there was a song that was more popular called Ever Be. There's a line in Ever Be that goes like this. We sing worthy are you, Lord. And so she is walking along singing this song, but she's making sense of it with her own vocabulary. And so I hear her say, We sing worries, are you, Lord? (laughs) And I just heard it, I smiled, and I thought to myself, isn't that ironic? (laughs) Because sometimes worries can become our Lord. Sometimes we end up serving our worries. They shape our lives, they guide our lives. They're the first thing we think about when we wake up. They're the last thing we think about when we're in bed. They constrain us. They fill our mental real estate. And maybe if they're not even our master, how often they become our buddy. Our buddy that goes with us wherever we go. Our buddy that's there with us in the car. It's there with us on the bus, on the couch at work, at home, in the kitchen, wherever we go, our worries go with us. So this morning, I want to talk about worries. Or to use a more technical term, anxiety. Because anxiety is a real issue. Did you know that anxiety is the number one mental health issue in the world? That one in 13 people in the world experience an anxiety disorder? And yet... Listen to this. One in five U.S. adults experiences an anxiety disorder. One in three U.S. adults will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. One in three. And what burdens me is that one in three youth already are experiencing an anxiety disorder. And that's anxiety to the level of a disorder. Anxiety so much that it impedes the functioning of our life, let alone just the regular experience of anxiety that most of us face. In fact, when you look at just anxiety alone, not an anxiety disorder, anxiety alone, the numbers are far more widespread. 
And all of those numbers that I looked up were pre-coronavirus. So then I looked up a study that came out by the CDC. And they, they identified some shortcomings in this study because really coronavirus hasn't been around that long, so it's hard to study. But their initial findings show that anxiety has tripled. Anxiety levels have tripled since the coronavirus began. And that was back in June that this study came out. Back in June, things felt better, didn't they? Back in June, we were going outside and pretending that the coronavirus didn't exist. And now here we are. Here we are on the very brink of major changes happening in our city tomorrow. Headlines that are pretty, pretty startling. And anxiety is a part of that experience. And this is not just the coronavirus. Added to that, the racial injustice and civil unrest that we've experienced this year. Added to that, the election. Added to that, e-learning. Added to that, the holidays and quarantining and decisions that we need to make about that. Added to that, the personal experiences going on in our lives on top of everything else that's happening as a society. We are like potatoes stewing in a stew of anxiety. We're taking in all the flavors. And so what do we do with it? Today I want to look at what God's Word says about it. Today I want to to see how God can can help us in our anxiety. And to do, to do that, I want to do something a little bit different. Because there's a, a handful of passages in the, in the Bible that directly use the word anxiety or anxious. And those passages are gold. They're wonderful. But if we only look at those passages when we're talking about anxiety, I think we will miss a lot. Because all throughout Scripture, there's principles that can really help us with anxiety. It just never uses the word anxiety. And I think our passage today is an example of that. Our passage today, I believe, can so help us with our experience of anxiety. It's Psalm 23. <laughs> you, you, you might already have heard this, song, many, this psalm. Many of us are familiar with it. We have often heard it at funerals. And I like how one scholar said, Yes, this is a psalm about dying, but it's also a psalm about living. And I like what Martin Luther said. Um, he was a famous Protestant reformer back in the 15th century. He was preaching on Psalm 23. And he said, Psalm 23 comforts us in, our, in all of our Anfechtungen, which is an angry-sounding German word. They, they mostly all sound angry-sounding. <laughs> that, that basically means our afflictions. It comforts us in our afflictions, and a subcategory of our afflictions is anxiety. This psalm comforts us in our affliction with anxiety. So how does it do it? I think more than anything, it points us to a person. The power of a person when we are experiencing anxiety. Because when we are in that anxiety storm, it can be helpful to grasp onto information, ways to think about it. But I think even more helpful than holding onto a piece of information is someone who is holding onto us in our experience of anxiety. Someone who can be there to walk us through it, to relate to us in that experience. Someone who's holding on to us. And so this psalm points us to a person and the power of a person and not just any person. It announces its subject in its very first utterance. It says, the Lord. So this psalm is about how the Lord relates to us. And specifically what I want to look at is how the Lord relates to us in our experience of anxiety. And what we'll see is that when anxiety grips us, we have a shepherd We have a friend, and we have the proof. So let's read that together. 
Why don't, if you're able to stand, I invite you to. I invite you to turn to Psalm 23, even if you haven't memorized. So we can follow along. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can be seated. The first thing that we see in this psalm is that when anxiety grips us, we have a shepherd. That's the dominant imagery in the, in the first half of this psalm. And so, how does he relate to us as a shepherd? I think this shows us three ways. Number one, as a shepherd, he provides for us. And this is found in verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 starts out like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I don't know about you, but this used to confuse me as a kid. I used to think to myself, why are we saying God is a shepherd that I don't want? That does not make any sense. But I think most of us understand that this means because The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not lack. I will have what I need. In other words, our shepherd provides. And right away, there's something, in the very first line of this psalm, there's something radical taking place. Because David, who wrote this psalm by the inspiration of the Spirit, says something new. As far as we know, it had never been said before. Because up until this point, God had, he'd been called a shepherd, but always in a general way, as a shepherd, as a shepherd over the nation of Israel. Then all of a sudden, David comes along and he has the audacity to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And so I think it's worth pausing right there and just sitting on that. Because in your experience of anxiety, I want you to know that he is focused in on you. He is individually attentive to the very things that are happening in your life. The very things that are stirring that anxiety, he knows. He's watching you. He sees you. The Lord is my shepherd. He provides. Verse 2 gives us this beautiful double imagery of our shepherd providing. In Hebrew, in the original language this psalm was written in, uh, poetry is seeing something double, a doublet. And so we see this double imagery of how he provides. It's overlapping imagery. So number one, we see this imagery of he leads me besides, wait, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And what, what that's talking about is when a sheep would go to eat, They're wandering, grazing animals. They will wander the countryside. They will wander a mountainside. They'll wander all over looking for enough grass to eat. And so if it's not a green pasture, what a sheep does is eats a little bit here and moves on. Eats a little bit here, moves on. Eats a little bit here, moves on. And they're constantly searching, constantly hunting for more. So when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, The imagery is that there's enough. There's enough that you can lie down and rest. It's the same imagery when it says, he leads me beside still waters. As I've studied this, it seems that the best translation of that phrase is water that brings me stillness. 
It's less about the quality of the water and more about its impact on us. And so likewise, when a sheep is looking for water, if there's only little spots of water, drink a bit, move on. Drink a bit, move on. Drink a bit, move on. The hunt keeps going on. But water that is enough can bring about stillness and rest. And so what this is saying is we have a shepherd who provides enough. And sometimes we experience anxiety from the constant hunt, from the constant search for more, from, from, from not being satisfied, from scrambling, scrambling for more, whether it's more material things. I gotta have more, I gotta have more because that will give me security, that will give me joy. I gotta have more. But th- what this is telling us is we have a shepherd who's given us enough so that we can lie down and rest. He's provided for us. He's provided enough. He's provided enough. And maybe it's non-material things. I can testify in my own life that sometimes I experience anxiety around work because I'm looking for my significance in my work to get a little bit of significance here and then here and then here and then here and it keeps me hunting searching, looking for more. But when I remember that God has provided me with enough significance, enough worth already, not based on my performance, not based on anything else, but based on the fact that he would and did die for me, that's the price tag on my life. That is my worth. When I remember that, I can lie down. There's enough. Our shepherd provides us with enough. It keeps going. It says in in the beginning of verse 3, he keeps providing. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. And sometimes when we think of soul, we get this picture in our mind that actually didn't originate with the Bible. It originated with a secular philosophy that came after the Bible. But it's this picture in our mind that our soul is this see-through entity that kind of is glowy and has little wings and (laughs) flies off, that there's a sharp distinction between our, our mind, body, and soul. But usually, when Scripture is talking about soul, it's talking about our whole being. And I believe that's what this word is saying in our passage today. In fact, I've seen it translated someplace, my person. He restores my person my whole being, everything that makes me me. And so, again, I think in our experience of anxiety, it is helpful to hear that he cares about everything, every part of who you are. Because I think every part of who we are can be impacted by anxiety. So he cares for us in our spiritual well-being. He provides spiritual restoration. And he cares for us in our anxiety with our emotional health. So if you can open up to a friend, or if you can open up to a loved one, or if you can open up to a therapist or counselor, those resources can be a gift from God, a God who cares for your emotional well-being, a God who has provided those things if we take hold of them. He cares. He cares for every level of who we are. He also cares for our physical well-being in our experience of anxiety because sometimes we think of anxiety as only existing in our thought realm. But I think when you've experienced anxiety and how intense it becomes, I don't have to tell you that it's also experienced in the body. You see, anxiety is held in our brain and in our nervous system, which runs all throughout our body. So we feel it in our bodies. And so sometimes when we're experiencing anxiety, God can care for our needs by providing physical things, like the ability to move. If you're able to move, that that can be a way that God is ministering to you in your anxiety and providing for your needs. If you can stretch or walk or exercise, that those are ways that your anxiety can literally come down and they're good gifts from a good God who loves you and is caring for your anxiety. And also, 
because anxiety is in our physiology, that sometimes medicine can be a gift. And, I, and I'm not trying to push meds or promote meds. I'm actually a little bit wary of meds. I'm not, I'm not doing a commercial like, take this medicine and the side effects are diarrhea and headache and blood loss and things like that. <laughs> but I, 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 I do think it's important to take the stigma out of it. Anxiety's in our physiology. It's a physical experience. You know what else? Part of my physiology is asthma. And I thank God. I thank God for my asthma medicine. I thank God for my... I used to be in and out of the hospital, y'all, my whole life. Until I got on this medicine and all of a sudden it has enriched my life so much. I receive it as a gift from him. God who gifted the scientists and the researchers to develop this medicine. God who gifted my doctor to prescribe this medicine. These people might not have even known him, but in his goodness, he just gave them these gifts in order to bless the world. And I receive it as a gift from him. But I'm here to tell you, if anxiety is in the brain and in the nervous system, those are just as much an organ as my lungs. And so if you're part of the percentage of people whom anxiety meds can help for a time, you can receive it as a gift from a God who cares about every part of who we are. He's a shepherd who provides. Number two, he's a shepherd who leads. We see this in the, in the end of verse three. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, sometimes we have anxiety about direction in life, about a decision we need to make, whether small or big, and it, it, it induces this anxiety. We start ruminating on it. We start chewing on it. What should I do? This tells us we, we have a shepherd who leads us in the midst of that anxiety. So how does he lead us? Well, I think number one is conviction because this talks about righteous paths. So if we're facing a decision and there's an unrighteous option and there's a righteous option, the Holy Spirit tells us through conviction, don't go down the unrighteous way. Don't go down that way. It leads to ruin. Don't go down the path that leads to greed. Don't go down the path that leads to giving into lust. Don't go down the path that leads to resentment. Go the righteous way. The Holy Spirit's like those rumble strips. When you're going off the road to shake you up and say, no, 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 don't go that way. Go this way. The righteous path. So how do we know what is righteous? What is holy and loving? Well, number one, we look to the word. We need God's word to tell us what is righteous. So God's word becomes a filter for helping us make this decision because it shows us what is righteous. Number two, seeking the counsel of others. That, that we don't have to be lone rangers in making this decision. God has provided a community for us to look to, for us to depend on. And particularly people who are living Righteous lives, holy and loving lives can help us see what the righteous path is. Perhaps they're, a little, perhaps they're a little bit farther down the path in their Christian walk and they can help us see, no, no, avoid that and go this way. The counsel of others. And number three, prayer. Just laying it all before God in prayer. Saying, God, I let go of this. I let go of my agenda here. I want to do what is righteous. Would you lead me? And I believe he does. He leads us. And yet, let me say this. Sometimes we want him to tell us specifically, exactly what to do. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But you know what? When I look at Scripture, God, God's concern is that we do what is righteous. And so sometimes when we're faced with multiple righteous paths, 
All of them can be honoring to him. He leads us in righteous paths so we can go forward in what is righteous. You see, sometimes we get paralyzed wanting that specific thing to do, but the righteous path is what honors him. You know, back in college, this was a worry of mine. This was a cause of anxiety for me because I had in my mind, I was worried that there was one specific narrow thing that God wanted me to do, and if I missed that thing... I would miss serving him. So I was like, God, what do I do? I don't think I would have articulated it, but that was the worry. And so I remember Lisa said to me, Lisa, my wife, it was, it was before we were even dating. You know, we were talking. And, uh, <laughs> and this is actually part of what impressed me about her. She gave me advice. She said, God's kingdom matters more to him than it does to you. Ooh, that's Isn't that good? <laughs> advice given to her that she passed on to me and the the idea is listen if you're concerned about serving him in the kingdom he is more committed to his kingdom than you are he's going to make sure that he uses you it's not that God is going to say to us hey I had this one little thing for you to do and you missed it too bad for you now you're forever consigned to a life of kingdom insignificance go sit on the bench that's not God. If we're seeking to serve him, he's going to use us. He's going to use us in his kingdom. He's not going to put you on the bench. So if you're faced with a decision and you've paused, surrendered, and made sure that the Spirit is not convicting you to say, don't go down this path. If you have checked the word and checked with the counsel of others, if you have just laid it before him in prayer, I believe that if the path is righteous, you have freedom to move forward. Freedom to move forward with an open heart. And just say, God, I'm going to go this way. I believe it's righteous. I believe it's going to honor you. I'm open to mid-course correction. But I'll... I'll just go here and I'll trust you to use this for your kingdom. So he leads us. Now, he's a shepherd who, guide, who provides. He's a shepherd who leads. And number three, he's a, he's a shepherd who accompanies us. That's what verse four famously says. It says, starts out, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and that could probably mean two things at the same time. It could literally be talking about death. And so that means that valley in life where you are facing perhaps your own death, the threat of death, or the death of a loved one, or even the aftermath of that, and dealing with that and how fearful that place is. when you're in that valley. Or it could also be translated deep darkness. It's translated some places deep darkness. And that's talking about a place that's totally dark. I don't know about you, but I have these experiences. I don't know if you've ever been there where I'm, I'm sleeping in a place that's not, not my home and I wake up and before my eyes like adjust, I have no idea where I am. And I try to get out of the bedroom, like at my, this especially happens at my in-law's house. Try to get out of the bedroom, I'm like feeling along the walls to try to get out of the room, try to find a light switch, not bump into a lamp. It's that place of deep darkness. Have you ever been there? Yes. Only this psalm is not talking about a comfy bedroom. It's talking about being outside in a valley. So it's that place where you're walking along and you cannot see in front of you. Are you there? Can you see it? There could be a hole. You don't know. You don't know what's around the corner. You don't know if there's an animal. It is a valley of deep darkness. And sometimes in life, that is how it feels. We have no idea where we are. We have no idea what's going to come next. It is this place of unknown, and that is, that is a fearful place. That is anxiety-provoking. There is this sense of doom 
of what could be around the corner, that is anxiety. So when you're in that fearful place, facing death or facing the deep darkness of unknown and uncertainty, the verse continues, I will fear no evil. And that could be literally spiritual evil. It could also be translated disaster. So I will not fear the catastrophe. In that fearful place, I will not fear the catastrophe. Why? For you are with me. I love how this whole psalm has been in the third person describing the Lord, talking about the Lord. And then all of a sudden, David, the psalmist, he gets to this place and he's no longer talking about the Lord. He talks to the Lord. He says, for you are with me. It's like he can't contain himself at the beauty of this truth that in that fearful place, God is with us. There was this crazy study done just a few years ago. I mean, this isn't old school, like back before there were regulations. This was a few years ago in Madison, Wisconsin. I don't know how they got it approved by the board that approves research studies, but they did this study where they, there were about 12 or 16 volunteers who were put in an MRI machine, which is already scary, put in an MRI machine, and then they were told, we are going to shock you while you are in this machine. And they actually did shock these people. I don't know how this was approved. They shocked them. And so, but this is what they did. Because they were in an MRI, they were doing scans of the, of the chemicals in the brain. So they could actually see the anxiety chemicals going on as these people awaited being shocked. So they would see this area of their brain light up, but then something so interesting happened. They would have a loved one reach in their hand and hold the hand of the person. And what they found is that the chemicals literally went down. Here's something so interesting. When it was a very close loved one, the chemicals went down the most. When it was a kind of close loved one, the chemicals still went down, just not as much. When it was a stranger, the chemicals still went down, just not as much. There is something about someone holding our hands, being present to us in our experience of anxiety that just brings us down. And I am here to tell you that the one who loves your soul, the one who loves you more than anyone else, is holding you. He's holding you in your experience of anxiety. And he's not going to let go. He never lets go. There's something about someone being right there with us in the experience that brings it down. And I think sometimes in anxiety, we just need to stop and help ourselves be aware of his presence. I think sometimes when we picture Psalm 23, we picture this lovely scene of a European Renaissance Jesus. He's holding a fluffy little white lamb. He's probably just washed his face with apricot scrub. But did you know that shepherds were known for being dirty? Shepherds were known for having a foul odor. That's why they were outcasts. That's why they were despised by society. They were so dirty and smelly. Why were they so dirty and smelly? Because they were so close to the sheep. They smelled like the sheep. They would carry the sheep. They would mend the sheep's wounds. They would sleep next to the sheep. So I'm here to tell you, If you're in a mess and you're experiencing anxiety because it just feels like a mess, even if you're the one who made the mess, we have a God who is willing to join us in the mess. He's the one who said, I'm that shepherd. I will join you in the mess. He's close to his sheep. He accompanies us. 
So I just hear this. You are not alone. Because we have a shepherd who is with us. He provides for us. He leads us. And he accompanies us. And it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. You see, we have a shepherd, but the psalm continues. We also have a friend. When our anxiety grips us, we have a friend. A lot of scholars divide this, um, divide this psalm in two categories, shepherd and host, shepherd and host, shepherd and host. But I resonated with one who said shepherd and friend because the imagery of these last verses is more than a more than like an Airbnb host who you've never met. It's a friend. It's so intimate. And part of what we see, see, relates to us in two ways, two close-knit ways. Number one, he's generous. He's generous like a friend. Verse 5 starts out like this. He's prepared a table for us. He's generously set a table for us. He's got it all prepared. He's given us what we need at this table. You know, in our time, we often eat food at at our desk or eat food on the go, eat food in the car, or we eat food just for maybe in front of the TV, eat food when we sit down, done. But back then, they would take hours to eat. They would slow down and recline. And Jesus has that set up for us. He prepares a table for us. In the presence of our enemies. I love that contrast. This peaceful moment of connecting with him in the presence of the very things that are threatening our lives the very things that we are worried about they could be literal enemies they could be metaphorical figurative enemies the very things that we are worried about he says i've got a table for you do you ever watch a movie where the main character pauses the scene and everybody like freezes and then he comes and talks to the camera. That's what I see happening here. It's like there's a battle going on of the things that are causing us anxiety, the things that are threatening us. And it's like God presses pause. The things are suspended in space. And he says, come and, come and meet with me. I've got a table for you. You can just relax. Let your heart be settled. I think this is an invitation to us when we are in the battle, when we are in the storm, to come and meet with him, to hear from him through his word, to speak to him through prayer, and just let our hearts be settled. And I think as we do that regularly, come and meet with him, come and meet with him, it changes our experience of anxiety. It, it gives us that breath that we need. We can meet with him in the middle of the battle if we will. He's got a table set for us. He's so generous. His generosity goes on because at the end of verse 5 it says, my cup overflows. Do you ever have a friend who just keeps like giving things to you, giving things to you, giving things to you? Maybe you're over, maybe you're over for a meal. And the friend is like, here, have more. And you're like, no, I'm full. Here, have more. Here, have more. Here, have more. God is a friend who is so generous to us. It says, my cup overflows. I can't, I can't even contain all the ways he's so good to me. My life can't hold it all. It's overflowing. And I think this can help us so much in our experience of anxiety. Because if we're honest, anxiety often says, God, I honestly fear that you will hold out on me. I I honestly fear that you won't come through for me. And I think my cup overflows, reminds us of all the ways he's been so good. He's, he, all the ways all the times where perhaps we have hit, 
what we thought was a dead end, and he brings us through. All the, all the good things he's poured into our lives, I can tell you personally that this is one thing that has helped me the most. Personally, sometimes there are days when I wake up and I just feel gripped right away in the morning. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, that just sense of being gripped in the morning. And for me, what has helped me so much is leaving my house, going out on a walk, and disciplining myself to only be thankful in prayer for a while. And just, if, if I can't even think of anything else off the bat, starting with Jesus and saying, thank you, God, that you gave Jesus who gave his life so that even though I don't deserve it, my, all my sins are cleansed by faith in him. You don't see my sin. You see his perfect life when you look at me. And there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've given me his spirit. And now you call me your son. Even if all he gave us was Jesus, that's, that's enough to have a cup that's overflowing. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. In our sin, we've turned our back on him. But he did not turn our back on us. He gave us his son. So generous. And, and yet it, it doesn't stop there. For myself, I think of the fact that he's given me Lisa and the kids. I'm not entitled to that. That is such a gift. And I just say thank you for that. And thank you, God, for the roof over my head. Thank you, God, for the good night's sleep. Thank you that I live a block from Humboldt Park and I start walking through the paths. And I say thank you, God, for this coffee I made this morning, which is the bomb. And I, I, I can tell you, I come back. And I'm like, I am the richest man in the world. And I can't tell you exactly when or how, but something has happened to shift my perspective. Something has happened that I'm not feeling as gripped. I'm feeling more full, like my life overflows with goodness. I think it relates to probably the most famous verse in the Bible about anxiety. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Sometimes we stop there. We're like, okay, don't be anxious, pray. Boom, problem solved. And I do think we should pray. But this verse keeps going. It says, with thanksgiving... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is something about thanksgiving that shifts our perspective in this equation. I think this is, can really help us to be deliberately thankful, deliberately thankful in our experience of anxiety. Something happens in that equation to shift our perspective, to remember that my cup overflows. Lastly, as a friend, he's consistently loving. He's a friend who is loyal in his love. And this is what we find in verse 6. Verse 6 starts out like this. Surely, I am sure of this. That his goodness and mercy, pause, mercy could probably, is best translated love. And it's a special kind of love. It's, it's not a, a sentimental thought. It's more than that. It's an action. And it's not the kind of love that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's a love that keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. That's the kind of love he has for us. And it says it will follow us. And again, that's a little bit of a weak translation. It's more like it will chase us. This love will hunt us down. I don't know how it happened, but somehow Lisa and I got involved watching Blue Bloods, the TV series. It's a, it's a cop TV series. And in every single episode, 
one thing that we knew that was going to happen is that the main character in the end would chase down a bad guy and there'd be these drums playing. He'd chase down this bad guy and tackle him. And that's the image here. His love will run after you. His love will chase you down. And it will collide with you. When? All the days. All the days. Every single day. And so sometimes we have anxiety about the future. And that's real. We don't know what's going to happen. So whatever may happen, whatever unpredictable event, whatever diagnosis, whatever phone call, whatever pink slip, what, whatever may happen, one thing that we know for sure, surely, whatever happens tomorrow, he will love you through it. And the next day, he will love you through it. He will love you through it. No matter what hits your life, his love will hit your life and bring you through it. And then verse 6 ends with this. It says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I will dwell, and that's the, gift, that's the gift given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. That is our confident assurance. So be gone, anxiety about the future, because I know that I will be loved daily in whatever I experience, and ultimately I will be with the one who loves me more than anyone else. That is our confident assurance. So be gone, anxiety about the future. I know that I will be loved tomorrow, and I know that I will be loved all the way through eternity. You see, we have a shepherd and we have a friend. We also have the proof. Because David wrote this psalm and God promised David that one of his descendants would be the Messiah. And sure enough, David's great, 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 great grandson came along one time the Messiah, God incarnate, showed up in a manger. He could have left us, but he did not. He showed up, and one day in his ministry, he said something so interesting. He said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you know what's so interesting? A little while later in his ministry, he used the exact same phrase, lays down his life. Only this time he said, greater love has no one than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. You see, we have a shepherd and a friend who proved it by laying down his life. He is the ultimate shepherd and friend who laid down his life at the cross and rose again to meet us in our deepest need, salvation, that we would be given a life forever with God that starts now by faith. He met that deepest need. We have a shepherd, the cross. The cross is the proof that we have a shepherd and a friend who was willing to lay down his life. And if he's willing to do that, if he's willing to go that far for us, and we know that in our anxiety, which is real, he will shepherd us through it. He will love us through it. So in our anxiety, we have a person. His name is Jesus. Let's turn our eyes to him turn our eyes to him in salvation because he laid down his life and rose again so that by faith when we, when we turn to him and believe and follow him we can be saved. Turn to him for salvation but also turn to him if you've, you've been feeling distracted. If you feel like your worries have become your Lord and not the one who is worthy to be your Lord. This is an invitation to turn your eyes upon him as the old chorus goes, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things, the anxieties of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for giving us Jesus who gave his life. Thank you for this shepherd and friend that we have in the midst of our anxiety. I pray that you would help us to turn our eyes to you, to turn to you, to experience how you relate to us in the midst of our anxiety and to experience your peace. Thank you for being the one who cares for us. In Jesus' name, amen. A timely word today. Carrie, thank you for your faithfulness, brother, to open God's word to hear him. Man, if you were helped today, uh, if, if somehow God met you today through the singing, through the preaching of this word, man, would you go ahead and share this message, this, this service on your on your social media post? Send a text to somebody, send a link through online. Look, anxiety is a real thing, and people need to understand that there is a God who smells like us, who meets us in that anxiety, in that mess. And the songs that we sing reflect the praises that our God deserves. But we are still his messengers. He still chooses to use us. We are his instruments. And if we hold back and if we say, man, that was really good, let me just hold that and hoard that to myself. I'm going to listen to this sermon all to myself. We, We are not being generous as our God has been generous with us. Our cup overflows because of Jesus and let it now overflow in us telling people about the God who overflows towards grace, towards them. And so go ahead and share this with somebody. Extend that invitation for people to join with. Church family, our world is broken and there is one who can put it back together. His name is Jesus. Uh, One last thing, uh, next week, we are going to be providing a, a small video mini-series for our Brook kids, y'all. Um, so we're going to begin putting together some lessons leading toward Advent in the Christmas season for our Brook kids. We have a burden for them. We know many of our Brook parents are just uh, maybe overwhelmed, even with the e-learning as we talked about earlier today. And they're saying, man, how do I shepherd my kid, my, my third grader? my my kindergartner Um, how do I walk with my fifth grader and so we're going to try to provide some content to help spark some spiritual conversations with kids so that'll be on our our YouTube channel we'll send some more info about that but we want you all to engage with that church the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what that's what we need in anxiety give you peace. God bless you, church family. We'll see you all next week. You are dismissed.